You are now listening to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jordan and Jimmy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today is August 16th, 2020, and my name is Jordan. I currently contribute weekly articles to the Sideline Report, and this is Jimmy. He is a board certified in family medicine from the University of Michigan Medical School. And just a little bit of a reminder for everyone, we are hosting a fantasy football league. Everyone is welcome to join. We've still got about three or four slots. And if we do have more people interested, we can always increase it to maybe 12 or 14, get a little bit more competition, a little bit deeper league. But yeah, we're going to retweet that link out again on our Twitter page, which is at Motown Sports Talk on Twitter. And again, we should probably have that on our Facebook and Instagram too, which is just regular Motown Sports Talk. So, and again, feel free to ask any questions. We're always happy to answer any fan questions. So again, you can reach out to us on any social platform. We're happy to answer any of your questions, whether it's sports, fantasy, or just personal questions, anything. Just to get started, it's kind of been a little bit of a slow week in noteworthy news, but we've still got some topics to discuss. And first off today, we're going to talk about how there's been a huge increase in the price tag for top tier tight ends in the NFL. We've recently seen 49ers tight end George Kittle sign a five-year, $75 million deal. Then just a few hours following that deal, we saw Travis Kelsey agree to a new extension, which he got four years and $57 million. So this is obviously setting a new standard for tight ends in the NFL, where they're paid like some of the top players around the league, which one year after the Lions drafted another tight end in the top 10, it's possibly looking like a smart move. Instead of waiting for one of these top tight ends to hit the market and then overpay for possibly an older or less effective player that when you could draft one for cheaper and hope he turns into one of those top tier in the first four years of his year. So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on the tight end market as it stands today? Yeah, I think this is actually good news for the Lions. So let's talk about the numbers. So Kittle is $15 million a year. Kelsey is $14 million per year approximately Kittle got more because he's younger. He's 26 years old compared to Kelsey who's 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kittle also only had one year left on his current deal, whereas Kelsey had two years left. So Kittle had a lot more leverage and he's a lot more valuable of a player given he's younger. Mm-hmm. Now as a point of comparison, let's talk, look at the franchise tag numbers for different positions. The tight end tag this year was two ten point six million dollars according to the source over the cap. Mm-hmm. The offensive tag hole, franchise tag, $15 million. The wide receiver tag, $18 million. So we're starting to see these elite tight ends starting to move into uh, the bigger numbers that we see with wide receivers and other more valuable positions. Yeah. So the question is, how does this impact the Lions? Well, one of the main negatives of the TJ Hawkinson pick at number eight in the first round was that we weren't getting as much contract value drafting a tight end as most other positions. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the most biggest difference it would be at quarterback. If you can get a starting quarterback in the first round, you're saving twenty five to thirty five million a year. Yep. Defensive end is another big one. We've seen this recently with Joey Bosa getting twenty seven million a year. Yep. Leo Mack at twenty four million a couple years ago per year. So, tight end historically has been an undervalued position, but it looks like it's starting to catch up and tight ends are starting to shrink the gap now. Yeah. TJ's currently on a four year, $20 million contract. So if he can turn to a top five level tight end, 
we are getting a pretty good value. He's getting five million a year. Mm-hmm. If he can be playing like a fifteen million a year guy, we're saving. We're getting a ten million dollar delta there. Oh yeah, it's a huge deal, especially as you mentioned those the level that tight ends have taken in the NFL has been uh, immense. They used to be just mostly blocking and kind of like an extra lineman who maybe sometimes would go out and catch a slant pass or something right like that. But now they're turning like as you mentioned into full-fledged wide receivers and some of them like possibly TJ Hawkinson could be fully featured as a wide receiver of offensive threat on the team going forward. Yeah, so. absolutely. They are so valuable. And I feel like the NFL has undervalued them for many years because yeah. you see on some teams like the Patriots with Gronkowski, he's their number one wide receiver. Yep. And with the 49ers, Kittle's their number one target. Mm-hmm. He's their, the guy you have to worry about. Exactly. Yeah. You could argue that. I mean, same thing in Kansas city besides Tyreek Hill. Who else is there besides Travis Kelsey? Yeah, they got a couple other guys, Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman. Yep, but yeah, yeah, Kelsey is the guy. Kelsey's ability to make guys miss after he catches the ball yep. is almost phenomenal. It's unbelievable given how big he is. Yeah, exactly. So we also have another special guest who wants to join us today. Jimmy's daughter, Singh, Singh wants to come on, talk about Singh, TJ. She's a big TJ Hawkinson fan. All right. So you see she's got her uh, TJ Hawkinson jersey on. Oh, eyes. yeah. That it's a Hawkinson, not a Mike Williams. (laughs) (laughs) Random player. Right. All right. So, Singh, how old are you? 10. All right. Who's your favorite player with the Lions? TJ. All right. Well, why is TJ your favorite player? Is it because he's so athletic? Or is it because he's good looking? Or is it because you don't know any other players? Basically. (laughs) By default, he's your favorite player because you don't know any other players? Yeah. Do you know... Any other players on the Lions? Mm, I don't know. You don't know? Okay. <laughs> what did you think about TJ's playing last year? How well he did last year? Well, he could have done better. Really? How so? I wish he didn't jump over those two guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. And get that concussion? Yeah. Yeah. So what should she, he be doing this year to be better? Um, Not trying to jump over two guys. Okay. All right. All right. So I want to thank Jimmy's daughter, Singh, once again for coming on, giving her thoughts on TJ Hawkinson. Next up today, we're going to talk about how the NFL has gone through their kind of first initial round of testing for the COVID through training camp so far. And surprisingly, they've only had 56 players test positive, which it may seem like a lot, but it's actually only 2% of the entire league. So it kind of seems like a victory as of yet. But We still have yet to play any scrimmages, any cross-team practices, or any games, or anything like that. So we've pretty much just kept all the teams in their single individual training camp facilities, and they're just hometowns or wherever they've been staying. So the real test will be once the season starts over the first couple of seasons, and we see how, again, after players are interacting with teams and It's just going to be interesting to see, especially since the NFL is not hosting a bubble as in the NHL and NBA, which have recently seen both of them zero test positive tests recently. So they could also see a chain of of infections like we did in the MLB with the Miami Marlins, where it just went from one player to coaches to almost, I think, half the team ended up getting it. So again, if we have two teams play each other, then the next day they're tested and both teams are testing positive. It's going to be crazy to see. So Jimmy, how do you feel about the safety right now, like before the season starts? And do you think that they're going to change procedures going forward once the season starts? Well, I think the numbers are looking good. Mm -hmm. You're right to mention that 
It's a 2% positive rate with players because there's been some other numbers reported, such as the percentage of tests that are positive, which is less than 1%. Mm-hmm. That's not as good of a number to look at because there are ways to inflate that number. Yeah. One way is following a positive test. The NFL actually exempts the player from testing until further notice. Mm-hmm. The CDC just released a guideline suggesting that you don't need to test somebody for three full months following a positive test as long as they remain asymptomatic. Yep. The NFL initially had announced the 30-day test exemption following a positive, but the latest statement actually did not mention the time frame. Mm-hmm. So it's quite possible that they might not test players for multiple months after a positive. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to Matthew Stafford, who got a positive test back in early August. We might not need to worry about him even getting tested until early November Yeah, if the NFL is following the CDC guidelines. Mm-hmm. So there's other ways to decrease the number of tests that are turning back positive. One is counting multiple negatives on the same player the same day. These things can just artificially boost the numbers, which is why you're right to just report the number of players total that are testing positive at 2%. Yeah. Let's compare that to the NBA and MLB initial testing numbers. The NBA was at 5% initial testing numbers that Mm. were positive. MLB was around 1.5% to 2%. So the NFL is already starting off in a much better position than the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel? You mentioned that they're going to be doing daily testing for until September 5th. And then after that, it's going to be, is it going to be weekly testing or by, is it like just after game day? How are they going to be going about the testing procedures following after that September 5th deadline? Yeah, we don't know yet. They haven't announced it yet. The season opener is September 10th. So Mm -hmm. clearly the NFL is trying to get things as under control as possible before the season with the hopes that they don't need to daily test during the season. Yes. We've talked about this multiple times before that testing with on game day or within 24 hours of game day can cause real problems with unfairness. Mm-hmm. Like when the test results are returning, if one team's test results return earlier than another team and they're playing each other. Yeah. So I think the NFL wants to avoid testing within two days of a game. I think the ideal situation would be to test Monday, Wednesday, Friday, get all that out of the way and just don't test, don't know policy for two days before the game to avoid any chaos on game day. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Like you said, because the players can obviously try to skew or if they take if they do start testing on Fridays, they might try to skew that test on certain players just to make sure that they don't if they are positive, that they can still play. And then if they test positive Monday, then again, go from there. It's just going to be crazy to see how the season turns out. And it's going to be, it's going to be, like you said, it's crazy, not just for the lions, but for every team, it's just every team in the NFL is going through this. It's not a one team. This is not like one team has an advantage over the other. So if one team has their whole team test, every player test positive, then that's just part of the game. That's again, that's possible. It's a possibility for every single team going forward. Right. So you brought up that one team should not have an advantage over the other. Ideally, they're all being tested the same way and everybody, everything is consistent. However, I noticed something interesting watching Hard Knocks mm-hmm. and how they were testing compared to the Lions Inside the Den video, which is on their website and on YouTube, yeah. which goes behind the scenes. Uh, for those of you who watched Hard Knocks, you've noticed that when they tested, they just swirled around the nostril area. 
they actually did not insert the Q-tip deep into the sinuses. Compared to that to the Inside the Den Lions video, they actually stuck that thing straight back into the sinuses before swirling around. So they are testing in two really different ways in Detroit and in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So is this going to affect the false negative rate? I think the false negative rate would be higher if you're just doing the nostrils like they're doing in L.A. We don't know for sure, but I think the NFL needs to crack down this a little bit and maybe have some supervisors making sure every team is being tested the same way. Yes. Yeah, that's the biggest thing because, again, we've talked about it almost in every episode of the possibility of team doctors being able to skew a test one way or another. So we need to have some type of third-party arbitrator to, again, make sure that all of these teams are following suit and following either the CDC or the NFL guidelines in terms of COVID safety precautions. So, Right. And when you see how easy it is for there to be different ways to do swaps and do tests, I want to caution everybody against comparing the NFL's numbers to, say, the NBA or NHL. Because mm-hmm. they're using different labs. They may be using different testing procedures. So don't criticize one league by comparing it to another league. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, and again, because they're all operating in completely different ways. As we just mentioned, NBA and the NHL are both working in a bubble operation where the MLB and NFL are still traveling between leagues. But the biggest difference, again, as we've mentioned this before, with the MLB and NFL is MLB is constantly traveling almost daily or like every three days or whatever they're moving and the nfl is or so they're only moving eight weeks out of the year in total really so that's a really good point that's a really good point they only have to tighten the ship for eight times out of the year compared to mlb which is doing a lot more with a 60 game regular season exactly that's a big advantage for the nfl the disadvantage for the nfl is they have a lot more players and a lot more staff they have to deal with yeah, because there's minimum. I mean, right now in training camp, there's what probably about 80 players for each team. Plus, as you mentioned, all the staff, all the training members, all the extras, all the it's just, yeah, there's so many people right now in the training facilities on each NFL team. So it's way different than compared to just the NBA, who only has, I think it's maybe 13 or 14 players per team, maybe 15 at the most with their training staff. So, yeah, it's like it's a vast, huge difference. I want to make a comment about another thing that I saw on Hard Knocks that Anthony Lynn, yeah. the head coach of the Chargers, stated he was COVID positive earlier in the year. So this is three coaches we know of now that have confirmed they're positive, including Sean Payton and Doug Peterson. Hmm. So that's about 10% of coaches that we know of that are positive. The big unknown out there with this country is how many Americans have contracted COVID since this all started. Yes. Uh, So this is a number that we know 10% minimum. There could easily be two, three, four times as many coaches who are undisclosed positives or just never got tested. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Or same thing with players. Cause like you mentioned, this has been going on since March. So it's, we don't know how many players who could have tested positive back then and just never got disclosed and never became public or the NFL never knew about it. Like you said, because they weren't tested by the NFL, they were tested through a third party or their own right. testing facility or whatever. So now we'll move on. And one rough start to the football season this year is that the Big Ten Conference has decided that they're going to cancel the fall 2020 college football season with hopes of playing it out in the spring of 2021. When they initially said that they were just going to do a conference only season this year and they already had the schedule all laid out and then they just went up and canceled it. So this is 
and with lots of other college teams pulling out of competition for 2020, it's really putting in jeopardy the whole football college football season in whole. And as of right now, there are still 89 teams out of the whole 130 FBS teams to play in 2020. But there's still the whole SEC is trying to possibly start their own like conference in the South, basically, and play their own football league or something. I'm not I haven't looked into it too much, but I've heard a lot about that as well. So, Jimmy, I guess, what do you think about how the NCAA is handling this football season? And do you or just some NCAA teams are handling this? And do you think that this may put in jeopardy the NFL season at all? Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect the NFL season for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One is the NFL has the huge advantage of having a player's union that they can negotiate with. Once the player's union signs off on something, then the NFL is pretty covered from a legal and ethical standpoint. Mm -hmm. The NCAA doesn't have that advantage. So one of the big theories why the Big Ten... Pac-12 canceled the season is the fear of litigation, the fear of just criticism if a player has a bad outcome. Yeah. So I think this is just a really tough situation for everybody. And I really understand the reluctance to recommend football if you're on a medical advisory board. Mm-hmm. We're in such a hypercritical, hyper litigious society that if anything bad happens to a player, you face backlash affect your career it can affect your standing in the public or with medical boards it's a very tough position to put a medical advisory board in yeah i completely agree and that's the biggest difference between the nfl and the ncaa is that they have not only just the college football and the college players to think about they have the campus and all of the students and all of the faculty and all of that to consider as well and as you mentioned they don't have a union or someone they can go to to fight for them or represent them then give them the proper and make sure the safety make sure that the proper safety protocols are in place for them and that they can play without fear of catching it as the NFL is doing right now. So, so what's the main concern? The main concern appears to be this myocarditis issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's just talk about that real quick. The term myocarditis, it simply means inflammation of the heart muscle. Yeah. You add itis to anything, it means inflammation like tendonitis. Uh, The inflammation by itself isn't necessarily concerning, but if there's injury to the muscle, permanent injury, then obviously that is a much serious concern, much yeah. more serious concern. So the question is, how big of a deal is this myocarditis? I think it's just way too early to know how worrisome it is. We aren't even sure that the COVID virus is responsible for the myocarditis. Mm-hmm. As a lot of people know, correlation doesn't mean causation. Does this SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the COVID virus, does it actually invade the cardiac muscle? That's unclear still. It's not known to be the type of virus that does that, whereas there are actually other viruses that are known Mm -hmm. to invade the cardiac muscle. So maybe it's a totally different virus causing the cardiac issues. And even if there is some cardiac inflammation or injury, does it actually cause long-term ramifications? Is it something that's clinically significant or not? We don't know the answers to a lot of these questions at this point. Yeah, that's the biggest problem is nobody knows the long-term effects of how this is going to affect players. Like you said, whether these, yeah, nobody knows how myocarditis is going to affect it long-term. Like you, as you mentioned, if it's going to affect more injury-prone than that muscle area or certain heart-related issues going forward, maybe five, 10 years down the road, nobody knows because we're still dealing with it currently. So 
that's why players is, are especially concerned about this or catching this. But one other thing I kind of find interesting, as I said, that the Big Ten is possibly pushing it back to spring 2021, which also then puts in jeopardy of the NFL draft. How do you think that this is going to affect the draft with which is normally scheduled in April of year? Do you think that players could then not be eligible for the draft? Do you think the NFL could possibly move the draft back a couple months? But then again, that puts even more stress on like when the combine is, when pro date, like there's a lot of questions. How do you think the NFL and both the NCAA could combat that issue? Well, the NFL is definitely going to work with the NCAA and the players because they like the current setup. They like that college football is a farm system, a free farm system for them. So if the NFL needs to move the draft around to accommodate college football, I think they'll do what they need to do. Yeah. I also don't think this is totally over yet. I don't I don't think we should be counting on the spring season. Right now we're already seeing a lot of Big Ten schools and parents and players really pushing back mm-hmm. against the cancellation of the season. We've seen Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa parents already submitting formal letters to the university asking for details about why they canceled football when just a week ago they had announced a full schedule. Exactly. Uh, Just today I saw that Justin Fields is starting a petition. He's the Ohio State starting quarterback, starting a petition to restart the season. So we got a lot of players and parents who want to play in the Big Ten Mm -hmm. and the Pac-12. So I don't think this is over yet. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, especially with who Jim Harbaugh and I'm not sure Ohio State's head coach, but I'm pretty sure they're all advocating very hard too to play this season as well. And that's what I just found it so strange. They came out, they made a whole schedule, they went out like they went out and the board members obviously planned all this out and scheduled all this out just for them to come back and cancel it all of a sudden. So when all the players clearly are stating that they want to play. Right. It's a curious situation that you got three big time conferences, ACC, Big 12, and SEC going forward and playing. And then you have Big 10 and Pac 12 canceling. It's too much of a dichotomy there that's comfortable because it's not fair to Big 10 players who really want to play. And this is going to affect future recruiting, possibly. Mm-hmm. If you see that uh, there's a conference that's more willing to let you play, like the SEC. Yep. If I'm a big-time player, I'm going to the SEC. I'm not going to take my chances with the Big Ten, who's scared to play football if there's any kind of risk at all. Yep, that's a great point that I never even thought of, too, because, yeah, the SEC is pretty much bound determined to play football this fall more than any other conference or league. So, yeah, we'll just see how it affects going forward. Um, the college football as a whole, and just like you mentioned, recruiting and where players decide to go, we could see even more just star players continue to go to the SEC as they already are. So we could just see, again, it is a very possibility that they could become their own little football league down in the South. So, Yeah, you wonder if Michigan and Ohio State join them for a year. We're both Michigan fans here, and we want to watch the team play. Exactly. It'll be interesting. They, the Jim Harbaugh wants to play. He wrote this huge letter about why they should be playing give a bunch of stats and Mm. information ryan day with ohio state clearly wants to play their players want to play so are they gonna go rogue (laughs) and join another conference for here which would be fascinating how how awesome would that be for those two teams to be in the sec for a year that would almost make the college football season just the next level interesting exactly because that's i again i I like college football and i watch it but i don't watch it as heavily as nfl and that's my biggest complaint is just the 
obviously when there's big games when it's auburn versus alabama or something like that like i'll watch those but right. it's like when they're playing a division one or some random team it's just like i don't even bother watching them so like you said if yeah. it was just all the sec or just all the best college football teams in one college and one division that would be an amazing league to watch <laughs> that would be like the best year ever exactly if every game was sort of like an nfl game where wow any team can actually win it's mm-hmm. not you're playing these cupcakes and you're favored by 20 or 30 points. It's yeah. Like, it's a 56 you know to seven blowout, whatever. Right. Yeah. Those, those get boring. Those mm-hmm. aren't that interesting. Exactly. So yeah, that would be really interesting to see going forward. Well, one, one thing that the NFL might consider if the college football season gets shut down is they might move some games to Saturday, which would be good for NFL fans. The Lions might actually get some national TV games if that happens, which would be great. Yeah, exactly. Two more days of NFL football or an extra day of NFL football per week. Sign me up for it. I'm all all about it. We'll move on. And the last topic of the day we'll discuss is just a couple of roster moves that the Lions have made recently. And first up, they waived undrafted free agent safety Jeremiah Dinson. They did activate safety Jalen Elliott from covid reserve list they also acted romeo cora from active nfi which is good for romeo but unfortunately austin bryant is still on the pup list the former fourth rounder as we've discussed before was supposed to be a huge part of our defensive line this year and i know these training camp transactions kind of really mean nothing as we're just cycling through lower roster end spots that are probably not even going to make the team but you and me have also mentioned earlier on previous episodes that it's possibly good to have cycled through so many players who kind of know a little bit about the system and know just kind of what's going on. So in case we have either tons of injuries or tons of COVID positive tests in the year that we could bring some of these players back who already have somewhat of an understanding about our system. So I guess, how do you feel about these roster transactions and like Austin Bryant still possibly starting the year on PUP? Right. Well, you're absolutely right that these Lower level guys, guys on practice squad are actually much more important this year, and we want them to have a good knowledge of the scheme and the system. Austin Bryant on the pup list, again, concerning. We don't know how long he's going to stay on it. He could stay up to the first six weeks of the regular season Mm -hmm. or come off before the regular season starts. We don't know. Romeo Quara only be on NFI for two weeks. It was a very short stay. Mm -hmm. Very good news. Yeah. We're already concerned about our D-line depth, so having that be a short stay is really positive. I wonder if he had some kind of COVID issue pre-camp, because if he had COVID prior to camp starting, he can't be placed on the COVID IR list. He has to be placed on NFI, which is what he got placed on. And the two-week time duration would be consistent with some kind of COVID-related issue. So that's just a theory. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's all speculation because we know Lions coaches and players don't really say much or give out any details on what exactly is going on. They just say, look at the injury report, and that's all we kind of have to go off of. So, yeah, again, we've talked about it a million times. It's Austin Bryant is supposed to be a huge deal, and we hope that he can come back. We hope that he can stay healthy, but it's just not good, him missing these training camp reps. Again, he missed training camp all last year, and as so far, he's missed all training camp so far. So even if he can play, it's – it's not good to be missing these type of reps and be missing that again. We, 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 I know we mentioned it all the time, but last year, that defensive line, they, they were all injured at different times. So they weren't able to play healthy together and just not being able to get that chemistry with the defensive line being in there. It's not a very good start to a season. Yeah. You're right about the reps. Time is ticking. Practice starts tomorrow. So this is sort of exciting. Strength and conditioning period is finally over. So this is when the reps start. So, Austin Bryan has to get out there at some point. 
Yeah, exactly. We really need to see that. We just have to hope the rest of our defensive line can actually step up and we can see a big improvement than we can, did from last year. So, Right. And earlier you mentioned about the Lions not liking to disclose stuff. Well, they had that big disclosure with Stafford's positive test a yeah. week ago. And some people had a question about the HIPAA privacy laws and how come Stafford's positive test got leaked. Mm. Well, HIPAA only applies to healthcare professionals. It doesn't apply to the employer. It doesn't apply to the coaches. It doesn't apply to Matthew Stafford telling his best buddy yep. that he has COVID and then his best buddy selling that information to Schefter or Tom Pelissero or anybody. Yeah. So we don't know exactly how it got leaked. Tom Pelissero, I think, was the first one who reported it. We don't know who leaked it and how they get this kind of information. It'd be interesting to know these kind of details. Yeah, they always just say insider information as quote unquote. So no one really right. knows exactly who that insider is or what necessary qualifies them as insider. Yeah. So we can't just blame the Lions for that leak. It, it could be anybody. It, mm. it could have been Kelly Stafford that leak, that told somebody by accident. So we just don't know for it, sure. Exactly. Yeah. But it's good. Again, hopefully they can get this change. We know that as a result of the Matthew Stafford we talked about it last week that they're changing the procedures now and how hopefully they're going to be going about the false positive, false negative results after the whole situation with Matthew Stafford. So, all right. It looks like that's going to do it for us today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. And we'll see you again next time.